Welcome to the Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. So last week we talked about Thyatira, and today we're going to talk about the Church of Sardis, uh, which I want you to hear, and I'm going to have uh, Chris read some scriptures. We're going to read some, but he's going to read some scriptures. Give him a microphone. There you go. Thank you, Chris. Good job, son. I've trained you well. So, let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for this time, this word. Ask the Lord to speak to you. Come on, speak to me today from the principles of your word. I don't want to be here just because of tradition or because I have to be here. I want to be here, and I want to hear the word in Jesus' name. And everyone said? So I'm going to start with Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6 in the ESV. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to read this whole thing, and then throughout the, the message, I'm going to have Chris help me. But guys, I want you to listen to this church okay this this is uh, the the fifth church um which is the church of sardis and what the principles are that jesus spoke to the church of sardis and how listen to me those spiritual conditions are alive in the worldwide church today in our lives today or in our church today right so it's a, it's a global message for the church still today it is a timeless message. Can I hear an amen? Revelation chapter 3, verse 1 through 6 in the ESV. Um, buckle your seatbelts. Amen. <laughs> verse 1. And to the angel of the church, again, those who have not been here, the angel is a messenger to, uh, uh, to the church or the overseer or the leader of that church, right, that the Lord himself gave instructions to John to give these letters to these leaders. Why would Jesus... Almighty Jesus send a, a, a message to a human being, John, for then a human being to take that letter back to a, 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 a celestial angel. Jesus could have done that himself, right? He could have skipped that process, but he's saying it to John so that John could give it to real messengers, real human leaders. But then they, they had to say it to the church. Now, I don't know how they said that because it doesn't go into detail. But could you imagine each leader reading this to, to the Sunday morning congregation? You know, All right, guys, I just got a letter from Jesus. And it's about us. <laughs> Are you ready to hear it, right? And so then he goes, to the, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him. Now, listen very carefully because Jesus always introduced himself differently to each church. That's amazing to me. He doesn't just say the same introduction. He's like, I'm going to give you a different aspect of my majesty on the fifth church. He goes, tell them he is he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. Now listen to this. Zoom in now, church. Don't get distracted. Watch what he is saying to this church and see if it applies to maybe some of the uh, churches in America in our nation. You have, Jesus said, the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Verse 4. Yet you still have a few of you in, the, in your congregation, in your community, in Sardis, that have not spoiled, so, sorry, soiled their garments. That sounds almost like poo-poo. 
you have some that have not soiled their garments, and the, and and they will walk with me in white. Who will walk with me in white? Those who have not soiled their garments, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed in the white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Everyone say amen. Now look up at me. Sardis was founded about 40 years earlier uh, when this was written, about 40 or 50 years earlier in the great revival in Acts chapter 19 that we talked about in the first church in Ephesus. That's how powerful... Excuse me. That's how powerful the revival in Ephesus or in Acts chapter 19 that birthed Ephesus was because it also would birth all these other churches. A lot of these other churches. So it, was, it happened around the same revival type of outpouring. Remember when the, when the magicians and the sorcerers would put on the, 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 their, their, their sorcery books and it was burned and people, like it was worth a million something dollars. That is where, where this church was, was birthed. So you can imagine the beginning of the church was very vibrant. Can I pause and say, it's not how we start that matters. I can't go, I can't uh, look at some three, four, five years ago when we were vibrant and hold us to the same measure today. We have, neither could we ourselves. We can't say, well, you know, I went to a mission trip 10 years ago. I understand that. That's great. Well, I was on fire for God and you should have seen when I prayed for people and that's great, but what are you doing now? How's your heart now? Right? And so they started off good, but then Sardis purposely did not want to rock the boat in the culture. They wanted to blend so much with the culture, be so uh, cool in the culture, but obviously they had some sort of reputation that would cause other in the culture to say they're alive. Because uh, there, to a degree, there's what people see about us is what they view about us. So what they determine about us is, hey, they have... They have uh, the lights. They have the, the fog machines. They have, I'm just paraphrasing, right, to our vernacular, to our time. They, man, they're, they seem like they really are hopping there. They have a really big facilities. They have all these programs for the people of the community. Man, they're a live church. Since when do we take, in God's eyes, having many programs that actually help people being a lively church? That's how we've interpreted a, live church, a lively church. But Jesus doesn't interpret a lively church like we interpret a lively church. And I'm not saying there's anything with these programs. Those are great. But how many know that you can have these programs and not have no anointing and the flow of the Holy Spirit that allows the Holy Spirit to flow in the local church? How many know that you could have programs but are not breaking chains in other people's lives? So obviously this church of Sardis had a reputation that they were alive by the community, by the, by the region. They're a hopping church. They're a hopping church. But let me break it down. What they probably meant was alive was they just blend with the culture. There's no need for me to really, the culture to, to kind of persecute them because they're not holding other people around them to a biblical standard. So, of course, the culture's going to like you. Of course, everyone's going to like you and think you're hot and think you're great when you're not challenging them to live in truth and not challenging them to live to a biblical standard. The moment that the church challenges the culture, come on, somebody, to live in a biblical standard is the moment that we are no longer cool with the culture. 
But if you're cool with the culture, you're going to be deemed alive by the culture. But it's interesting because there's no mention by Jesus verbatim that they were overly persecuted. Like he verbatim says, all these other churches, I know you're working, being persecuted. You live in the devil's throne. Remember all those stuff. They, no, no mention of affirmation to the Sardis church and no mention they were overly persecuted. Now, were they persecuted? Of course. But there's no mention of that. Why? I'm going to get in trouble with this because they were just friends with everybody. And they, it was okay, it was okay to do stuff that were maybe a little iffy biblically because they didn't want to offend the culture and they wanted to be in with the culture. It's called blending in. When you blend in and you just see, we, we could do just enough to convince people that we're Christians. <laughs> we, we, we could, uh, we could uh, it's an appearance of Christianity, Right? That we'll talk about in a second. But this church of Sardis had a reputation of being alive but was dead. You know what the word reputation in the Greek is? And I'm not going to, there's going to be some on the screen, but not this one, is onama, the name that one is known for by others. Right? So by others, this church was, uh, was alive. But Jesus says, you're blending in. You're not, watch this, you're not making a difference in society. You're not making difference in society. There's no life. There's no anointing. There's just a name that you're alive. Now, I'm going to share this with you because I'm going to break that down today, why I believe uh, this is happening also in our, 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 in our normal church, in our church today. Because there's a difference between the reputation that others give you and the reputation that God knows about you. Why don't you put that first point up there? There's a difference. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta. There's a difference between the reputation that others know you for and the reputation that God knows you for. Now that could work good and bad. There are some people that may have may say bad things about you, and you may be known as certain this, certain that, and God says, No, you're not that, you're pure. But if I could just be honest with you, not every single person that derives a conclusion of your reputation is just making it up. Sometimes it's because of what they see you and I doing continually. So if we continue to do things, we're going to derive to a certain reputation, right? But there's sometimes on the opposite that we think that we can uh, do these things and act really lively and have a reputation of being a man or woman of God or very spiritual when deep down inside God knows we're dead. You could be saved and, and have the Holy Spirit in you and not have the life of God flowing through you because of your lifestyle. You know how many Christians I see that they feel defeated all the time? They're not making a difference. Jesus is saying to this church the same thing I believe he's saying to, to the nation. He goes, there's many of us that have this form of godliness, form of being alive, right? But I know what you really are. But this is the beautiful thing about Jesus. He's saying, stop fronting. You can fake everybody else, but you can't fake me out. Come on. Come on. There was very little light in the church. There was very little vibrancy. There was very little anointing that, that destroys a yoke of bondage. They just had, watch this, exuberance and hype to mask the real problem of a lack of life and a lack of anointing. It, it, okay, here I'm, I'm going to preach for a second here. I'm going to move this for a second so I can just, okay. Right, here, listen, dead, dead churches need the great talented and the great lights and the great fog machines and the great talented preachers, great talented 
talented singers, nothing wrong with talent, but great talented uh, things around us, perfect, to mask the real problem of not having enough anointing to break the yoke of bondage in people's lives. So we, so we display a form of life, but it's not changing anybody. Oh, come on, church. So that means you can look like you're alive, talk like you're alive, act like you're alive, dress like on Sunday morning like you're alive. But God says you're asleep. Now, I'm not talking to you about Remnant Christian stuff, but I'm saying if the shoe fits, please wear it. It's for your own good. Because the fallacy is, hey, there, there's things popping in my life. There's things popping in my church. And not ever address the deadness inside your heart. He goes, you have a reputation in the city. You have a reputation among your friends that you're really alive. But if you really examine yourself, you're, you're dead. What does that mean? You have very little. You have very little life. And I'm, gonna, I'm getting ahead of myself. But Paul states this throughout the scriptures to his spiritual son, Timothy. He, he said this whole, this whole um, pretending to be alive. Here's, here's the real issue that Jesus had with the church of Sardis. Stop hiding behind the fact that you have to make everyone think that you're alive Stop hiding, listen, behind all the professional programs and the things that you're doing. And uh, watch this. Sometimes the things that we do good are sometimes a mask for not addressing the real issues in our heart. We always deflect or default what we're doing good so that we don't have to deal with what's happening in our heart. And so the real correction for the, for the church of Sardis is like, hey, you guys are displaying, can I just be more 2024, a lot of hype. You, you guys are displaying a lot of exuberance. You guys are displaying a lot of shouting and joy. And that translates to people that you're alive. But I know your heart. You have a very little prayer life. You have a very little word life. Now, again, this is not uh, uh, me saying there's, you know, like to, 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 to slap you or whatever. It's what Jesus is saying. Stop pretending because I see. I, I, I see. And it's for your own good. You know, it's, so, it's, it's sad that so many people in the church today, I'm talking about the worldwide church, are afraid to, for people to see them get changed because they want to keep a spiritual uh, 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 reputation of them than to actually be changed. So they'd rather stay in bondage because they don't want to come to the altar because everyone's going to see them come to the altar to get prayer or go to a journey weekend. Oh, I can't go to a journey weekend because I'm a, I'm a leader. I'm a pastor. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a preacher. I'm a singer. I can't do that. I can't do that. What are they going to think about me? Who cares what they think about you? Get healed. Get free. Go after your freedom. But if you're concerned about just being alive, come on, somebody. With everybody else, you will never be vulnerable to actually break the chains off of your life. Boy, that's some good preaching, Jesus. Thank you for that. Second, <laughs> Chris, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 through 5 in the ESV. Look what Paul told Timothy about this same principle of having a reputation that you're alive, but we're asleep. Look at this. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times mm. of difficulty. Stop. Are we in the last days? Keep going. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud and arrogant, abusive and disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and unholy, heartless and unappeasable, slanderous without self-control, brutal, 
not loving good, treacherous and reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. Having the appearance of godliness. Having the form of godliness, but denying the power. Oh, there's a key. What was lacking in the Sardis church? It was alive by reputation, but it would lack anointing power. It lacked the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, there's a, oh, I'm going to preach for a second here. There's a difference between a gifted person and an anointed person. You're talking about life and Sardis, right? A gifted person will wow you with their preaching. And they'll wow you with their singing. They will wow you with their business skills. They will wow you with the ability to quote scripture. But when people leave their presence, nothing happens. The other person leaves them more enamored about their gifting. And then instead of getting closer to Jesus, by the way, that is a clue of what's happening in some of the churches. If where you go to is attracting you more to a gifting of a person than to Jesus, then they're leading you the wrong way. Or you're just interpreting it the wrong way. If you leave a meeting or a church, man, that man was so anointed, and, that, and that, 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 that person could sing so well, and oh my God, that person could orate the scripture so well. And you have no change. Maybe it's you. Yes, and maybe it's you. But maybe you have to really check yourself what you're really going for. There's a difference between an, a, a, an anointed person and, and, a, and a gifted person. A gifted person could wow you. But watch this. Oh, Lord, I love this. But an anointed person, they may be mediocre in their gifting. They may be really mediocre in their way that they can sing and preach. But when they sing, when they preach, when they pray in the name of the Lord, chains start to break on people's lives. Conviction starts to, I know myself, I'm as weak as everybody. But when I speak and there's conviction happening, that's not me. That's the Holy Spirit. There's a difference. You want to be alive? Get some oil so you can get anointed. Because it's, watch this, it's not the gift that destroys the yoke of bondage. It's the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. You want to be alive? You got to be a church. You got to be a people that gets oil in their lamps so that you can have enough so that when you speak, Power comes out. Anointing comes out. Not just the gifting. Now, I'm not dissing a gift. This is awesome. Gift is awesome because God gave everyone a gift. But if you just have high gifting and no flow of the Holy Spirit, no filling of the Holy Spirit inside of your life, you may just only be giving a good speech. Paul the Apostle said this. He goes, I don't want to speak with eloquency of words only, Lord. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I'm not really a good preacher. They, they fell asleep on Paul many, you know, one time. And he was very merciful because the dude fell off and died. I would have been like, you, that's what you deserve for falling asleep on my preaching. But he went down there and he resurrected them. <laughs> like, like, like that's a light thing. <laughs> like, wake up, get up from your dead. And he got up. I mean, that's power. That's power. I bet you he never slept again in Paul's preaching. But what's the point? Paul was a mediocre preacher if you do some historical uh, facts. Apollos was actually a much better preacher. He was. He goes, but my speech and my teaching was not, was not with persuasive language, come on, or eloquency of words, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power. That's what I pray all the time. A program is good. But look at this, look at this slide. A program without the Holy Spirit's involvement is sometimes merely an activity that has no life. 
Come on, that baby was saying amen too. She got it. She's getting that revelation. Or he, I don't know. The Sardis church was like many churches of today. Had great programs. Again, not against programs. I want to clarify that. Probably had a great preacher. Not against great preachers. Probably had great musicians. Not against great musicians. But the problem with Sardis is not that they had great musicians, great preachers. Is that there was no life in them. Bringing a balance to everything. Going up to church and, and having a packed house doesn't mean it's a life, lively church. You can have a lively church with 30 of us in here. So, amen. Why would the culture of that day or our day want to persecute a church that's not standing up for righteousness? Can I let, let you know and remind you something? Jesus in the Beatitude didn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted. Wait, wait. I know you're going to say I'm, 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 I'm off. I'm not off. He didn't say, blessed are those who are persecuted. He said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. There's a difference. There's a difference. I said, there's a difference. When you're persecuted, or you call persecution uh, your, your job, you know, not allowing you to have Bible studies during, uh, you know, uh, whatever. I mean, no, you just have to obey the rules there. But when you start speaking the truth and holding people accountable to their lifestyle and saying, hey, this type of lifestyle is not pleasing to God. You need to repent. I love you. And then they start persecuting you. Persecuting you is because you're standing up for righteousness. Now, why do I say that? I read a story in a, about in the Nazi Germany era. Uh, called the Aryan Clause. I don't know what, if you, some of you guys knew what the Aryan Clause was. But the Aryan Clause in Germany, in, in Nazi Germany, and Hitler was there, when they were about to start this diabolical, demonic thought process that the Aryan race was the, you know, the, 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 the high supreme race, and therefore everybody else is uh, underneath. There was a clause that was passed in Germany. I read, I read this in a couple of uh, uh, sections in my study. That in that time... They were saying, okay, we want you to, to, to give some sort of vote and some sort of agreement or disagreement about this Aryan Clause, which would prohibit the Jews from, the Jewish people, from having a positions of leadership in almost any, in, 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 in real estate, in property, in organizations, and in churches. So that means if you were a Jew and you were a converted Christian, right, in the church, and you hold a high position, they said, uh, we don't want the Jews to hold any position here. You know what the sad thing is? From what I read, about 20,000 clergy people, leaders, about 20,000 clergy leaders or so that were present at that time, obviously they were scared because they knew what Hitler was doing. Out of 20,000 that was going to vote yes or no, only six to 7,000 voted no. The rest did not vote at all because they were afraid. Why would a culture persecute a church like that? Think about that. I'm not saying go look for persecution. <laughs> what I am saying is, are you alive? Because I'm telling you right now, if you're alive, some of the things that the world accepts are not going to rub well with the world. If you're alive, you will agitate that worldly system. But if you're dead and have the form of godliness, you're going to blend with everyone. And no one will ever know that you're a, a, a man or woman of God because you just accept everything. You're cool with everything. <laughs> And then Jesus, I'm backtracking, but Jesus then says to the church of Sardis, he goes, I want to remind you now, this is why I'm saying this. I'm, I'm backtracking. I am the one who holds the seven stars, which is the leaders of the, 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 uh, the churches, right? Then he says the seven spirits. 
He says, I want to remind you, Sardis, the one that is, that is like blending in and blending out and you have no life in you. I'm the one that has the seven spirits. Now, what does seven stand for? Completion. Maturity. What does it stand for? Fullness. But I believe one of the things that the seven spirits represent, they represent a lot of things, is the fullness and the fullness activity of the person of the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 11, verse 2, now, I didn't give that to the, to the team, right? As, uh, could you read that real quick? I didn't give that to the team. But in Isaiah 11, verse 2, one of the things that people sometimes historically say that this, sometimes they say it's not because they say there's six there, uh, and they're really the, the first one is the Spirit of the Lord, and that's not one. I understand that, and I agree uh, to an extent with, uh, with, with other uh, theological perspectives on that. However, what I want you to see is not such the specificity of the seven, where's seven? Oh, is the Spirit of God one and then two, three, four? No. It's, I want you to see the principle behind the multifaceted nature of the Holy Spirit. Are you ready? Look at, look at what Isaiah 11 verse 2 says. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Okay. The Spirit of wisdom yep. and understanding. Yep. The Spirit of counsel and of might. The Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. Okay, so there's many aspects of the Holy Spirit. He brings a fear of the Lord. He has a spirit of wisdom. He has a spirit of understanding. He has a spirit of knowledge. Then well, what do charismatics only limit the Holy Spirit to? Power. But it also says might. <laughs> so that's one of them. Here's the point. Why am I saying this with the church of Sardis? Because you have to marry the fullness of the Holy Spirit to, a de- to revive a dead church. Watch this next slide. It's going to take the fullness of the Holy Spirit to resurrect areas in our walk with God that have grown dead. Oh, that was, I deserved a little bit more than that. He reminds the dead church that is exuberant and hype and displaying spirituality. He's reminding them, I love you enough to tell you you're spiritually dead. I'm not saying this to condemn you. I'm saying this, you can't keep tricking yourself because in the day of judgment, you're going to be shocked. So might as well get it right here so you could get it right over there. Listen, I'd rather get it right here and get convicted here than be shocked in heaven. Amen? 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 So what he's saying that, what he's saying is, hey, listen, you know what it's going to take to revive the deadness in you? You're going to need the work and the person, the Holy Spirit, to be activated again in your circle and in your community. Listen, don't quench the Holy Spirit. If you do, it's okay. Uh, 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 Repent and move forward. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, this was not in my notes, but I feel led to say this for some reason. There's a difference between quenching and grieving, even though it still has the same uh, uh, punch to the Holy Spirit, to the person of the Holy Spirit. Quenching the Holy Spirit has to do with stopping the flow of his gifts and his power out. That's why it says, despise not prophecies. The very next sentence is, and quench not the Holy Spirit. Come on, Darren, you should have said amen to that one. What he's saying is, hey, don't despise or stop or quench or shut the outpouring gifts of the Holy Spirit. That's quenching. Grieving is when we, through our lifestyle, we hurt and displease and grieve the person of the Holy Spirit through our lifestyle, through our sin. So through our theology, our service, our expression, we could quench the Holy Spirit. Through our lifestyle, we grieve the Holy Spirit. But it's going to take the fullness of the Holy Spirit to revive dead things that once used to be alive. Let me, let me go further. To revive things that God wants to be alive. Because there's some things that need to stay dead in your life. Come on, say amen. 
There's that old nature. You bet that old man, that old woman, leave that person dead in the name of Jesus. But there's some things that you used to have. Come on, church. That you used to have a vibrant prayer life. You used to speak in tongues. You used to witness. You used to pray. You used to listen to the word. You used to listen to worship. Those things, some of it has died. And God is saying to the church, it is time to wake up. I said, wake up. Because that moves to the next thing he talks about. The first instruction that Jesus said after addressing their true spirituality is he said, wake up. Up. Oh, now this is going to be a revelation to you. Oh, God. This is so when I saw this, I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I just started thinking about this. I started thinking about the word wake. So uh, Revelations 3, 2, verse, uh, just 2. Read it real quick um, in the ESV when he's addressing. He says what? Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. Is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So there's a lot of other things that can be principles to a, a sleep church or dead church. But to me, one of the two main things that are biblically evident when there's a spiritual slumber. Now, why do I say spiritual slumber? Why do I say spiritual slumber when he said dead? Why do I say that? Because Jesus says, wake up. Oh. This is, this is, this is, let, let's, let's go there. Let's go there. Why would anyone say wake up if they're only dead? They're also asleep, spiritually asleep. When someone comes in your room and says wake up, it's because you're sleeping. So spiritually, this church was sleeping. Can I just say that the church has fallen asleep when there's times to speak up and they don't speak up? When it's time to stand and they don't stand? The church is falling asleep at Delilah's lap and not even knowing that the strength of God is seeking out of them. Samson didn't know that the Holy Spirit left him. He didn't know. He thought he was because he was starting to blend. Do you see that, church? You won't know that you're drifting when you're blending. You won't know that the, you have lost strength when you've blended so much that you realize what's going on. It's because you've, you, you've act like a Christian, but you act like the world, and you're blending. And the two things that I see, there's a lot, that are prevalent in a church that's sleeping. A lack of vision and a lack of prayer, vibrant prayer culture. You say, what? Yeah, there's a lot of other things that are, are, are a sign of a sleep church. But I've noticed a lack of vision to go forward, to impact people, to go into the presence of God, and a lack of prayer. Now you say, Pastor George, how did you get lack of prayer culture when it is a spiritual sleeping church? How did you get that? Where did you get that? From the word wake. Because the, Jesus said, wake up. So I decided to look up the word wake up for you. Now I want you to see this screen. Look at what wake up means in the Greek. Wake up, the Greek word for wake up is gregoreo. Hallelujah, I said that right. To watch, everybody say to watch. Now wait, that's interesting. To wake, to the, the Greek word for wake, and when I say Greek for those of you who are new believers, is the translation of the New Testament in Greek, okay? So listen, it goes, wake up. But wake means to watch. Everybody say watch. To give strict attention to. To be cautious, and I, by the way, I read, I quoted this word for word from the Greek lexicon, so it may sound very wordy, but that's what it is. To take less, take heed less through remission and apathy. Do you see? Do you see a clue here? What's the clue? A sleep dead spiritual Christian is one that's very apathetic. 
They just don't want to rock the boat. Some destructive calamity will overtake someone. In other words, take heed lest through remission and apathy some destructive calamity suddenly suddenly overtakes him. Okay, take that screen off. And, and here's why I say what one of the reasons or symptoms or signs of a life, a spiritual life that has become spiritually dead is when our prayer life is drastically affected. And there's very zero prayer culture in our family, in our walk with God, in our church. You say, how do you know that? What, are, what is one of the main symbolism phrase for prayer, what Jesus said when he was in the Garden of the Gethsemane? Come on. Watch and pray. Now, yes, that's, he says pray, but then he says watch. So where are you getting that from? In Mark chapter 13, verse 32 through 33, I'm going to read it in the New King James. You're going to read the same scripture in the ESV. I want you to see something. Look at the Mark chapter 13, verse 32 through 33. But, on, but of that day, Jesus said, and of the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, underline this in your Bible. Take heed, watch, and pray. I want you to underline that because I want you to see the, 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 the almost exact similarities in the ESV, okay? So watch this. It says, take heed, watch. What is one of the words for wake up? And pray, okay? And pray, for you do not know when the time is. Now look at this. Now let's look at the same scripture in the ESV that shows prayer and wake have similar meanings. Look at what it says in the ESV on the screen. Go ahead, Chris. But concerning that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard and Watch keep this. awake. Wait, stop. Be on guard and what? Keep awake. Now, do you see the word pray there? Because it was said it in the other verse. It said watch and pray. But this one says be on guard and what? Keep awake. Keep awake. That phrase keep awake is in the exact same place as pray in the New King James. It says keep on guard and Stay awake. And the New King James says, be on guard, watch, and pray. So that tells me that a, a similarity exists between being awake and a culture of prayer. So that means a spiritually dead church, one of the main signs, come on somebody, is that not only they lack power and flow, they lack prayer. But here's the, here's the mind-blowing thing. Without prayer, you can't get the power. You can't get the anointing. You can't. Prayer is the engine for us to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit and to release power through people's lives. Do you realize that without prayer, there's no power in the church? We become powerless because we stop praying. Do you realize that power is synonymous with prayer? Yes. In the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit came in, they were filled with fire and the power of the Holy Spirit. Then the book of Acts was a display of the Holy Spirit's power that came on the apostles. So this tells me that one of the signs of spiritual symptoms of a church has fallen asleep or spiritually dead is that there's no vision and there's no prayer culture. Ask yourself this. What is... The condition, the spiritual condition of your life when it comes to prayer, when it comes to worship, when it comes, not, I'm not talking about corporately only. If, if the only time we pray and the only time we seek God is when we're in corporate gathering, we are slowly going to be in danger of falling asleep. 
And if we're not careful, we will know all the right. See, here's the thing about us Christians. We already know how to do things uh, even when we're not alive. I'm not saying that that's wrong because we need to press in even when we don't feel anything. But sometimes we lie to ourselves saying we haven't prayed or spent time with God for a month. But let me just go ahead and jump up and down in exuberance so that I could just have that spiritual life in me. But God says, I know your works. Now, now, now look at what he says next. He said, strengthen what remains. I'm almost done. Are you getting something this morning? And it's about to die. Everybody say, strengthen what remains. In other words, build on things in your walk with God that has already been there and strengthen them. Don't complain about what you don't have. Strengthen what you do have. Even if it's a little bit. Even if it's two or three things that you feel in your life that, has, that is remaining in your walk with the Lord, strengthen that. He's like, you're going to be so overwhelmed to try to strengthen everything you lost to strengthen and build on what you still have. It's a five loaves, two fish principle. It's like, hey, what do you have in your hands? That's not enough. Five loaves, two fish, that's not enough. Yes, it is. Give me the five loaves. Give me the two fish. Give me what's in your hands. Give me what's in your hands, and I will work with that. But, but Lord, there's 5,000 people here, I know. But if you stop ju- just doubting me and trust me, I, I, I can strengthen the little that you have. Focus on the, on the strength that you have. Uh, years ago, I was, the Lord kind of lovingly rebuked me because even in this church, in the beginning of the church, sometimes I would have a, a, a tendency to go after the 80% of the people that didn't want to build the church, always complaining, always gossiping, and trying to go after them. And, 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 and they had not gone to church in a while, and I was spending all my energies searching for people that, to, to try to bring them back to the church. Not that I would stop doing that, but I spent eight 80% of my time, sorry, most of my time reaching the 80% that didn't want anything to do with the church that the Lord says you're going to lose the 20% that are ready and here and want to build. So I shifted my focus and I said, I'm going to start reaching out to people that want to build. It's strengthening the things that remain. That's what you have to do. Identify the things that are still remaining in your life. You may say, Lord, but I lost my passion. Okay, what do you have? Well, I still love worship music. Then strengthen that. Strengthen that. That reminds me of what what Isaiah said and prophesied when he's in Isaiah 54. Isaiah 54, he he says, you're going to expand your maturity. You're going to expand your influence. You're going to expand. But he goes, one of the the ways that you expand. It's not just, Lord, I expand in the name of Jesus. Oh, poop, there you go. My influence is great. Oh, then the power. No, no, no. He says, strengthen what remains. He goes, stretch your cord. Stretch out your cord. What does it say, Isaiah uh, 54? Enlarge the place of your tent. Look at this. And let them stretch out the curtains. Oh, this is good preaching here. Do not spare. Right. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. Strengthen your stakes. Look at me. Zoom in. What were stakes? There were things that were actually strong. Without stakes, you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't dig that, that, the, the stake into the ground to hold the whole tent up. So that means stakes already are things that are strong. He's saying, he's saying, he didn't say strengthen your tent. He said strengthen your stakes. Mm-mm-mm. In other words, you, you, you have something strong already. But now build on that because I want to expand this tent here. 
Because where I'm about to take you, oh my God, come on. Because where I'm about to take you requires a new level of strength so that you're stretched, you be stretched, and your tent is going to be stretched out. Because where I want to take you is I'm going to be with a place where I can trust you with the power of my spirit. So that means you have to strengthen your stakes because I actually want to use you in a greater capacity. But if you stay where you are, you're going to hurt yourself in the process. So it's going to hurt. You're going to be stretched. But guess what? You're going to be bigger in the spirit. You're going to have more capacity in the spirit. Hallelujah. Worship team, come up here. Strengthen. Listen, listen, listen. Strength, everybody say strength will remain. Strength will remains. In a practical sense, in a practical sense. In a practical sense, don't fall somebody. In a practical sense. Start strengthening the relationships that are godly in your life. Zoom, zoom in, zoom, zoom in. In a practical sense, I know I'm getting a little bit away from the text, but I just, in, from a prophetic, uh, practical sense, start, start, start strengthening some of the family things that you have still left strong. Start spending time with your son. Stop spend, start spending time with your daughter. Start spending more time with your spouse. If you still have that, you are blessed. You know how many people don't have their parents still living? You better talk to them. Call them. Call them. Strengthen that thing. Woo, I feel the Holy Spirit here. Strengthen the relationships. Strengthen that word life. Strengthen what remains. Everybody say strengthen the remains. Because what God wants to do is resurrect. He doesn't want to scold you. He wants to resurrect the deadness. He doesn't want to leave you in the deadness. He doesn't want to leave you asleep. So he says strengthen those things. Watch this. To some of you, get back to prayer meetings. To some of you, get back to the local church. To some of you, is get back to holiness. To some of you, is get back to just reading my word. Spending a little bit more time, and you're going to see life. Come on, say amen. Amen. And then here's the last thing he actually says that I want to, two last things, and I'm going to close with this. But the last thing is, is, to me, is very important. The the third thing Jesus said, instruction uh, for this dead church. Again, these are instructions of how to come alive, even in your own personal walk. He said, I have not found your works complete. Now, complete means, again, mature. It doesn't mean perfect. It means mature. It means full. And what I felt from this is, is two, two things. Though you're doing these things, what is not complete is your heart. You know that Jesus said this? Jesus. He said, Again, this is, a, this is a gangster thing, right? This is, this is going to be hard. So I didn't say it, disclaimer. I didn't say it, this is Jesus saying it. He said, hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you. He's talking to the Pharisees. That you draw near to me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. Isn't that like the Sardis church? It's you draw near, you give me praise. You know the right lingo. You know when to say hallelujah. You know when to say amen. You know when to say glory. (laughs) You know, listen, we become polished Christians to hide the fact that we have very little life in us spiritually. And God is addressing the professional, polished exuberance and just saying to us, just be honest with yourself. 
Just be honest because I want to resurrect these things. He says, I haven't found your work complete. Another, another thought to that phrase is finish what you started. You haven't, done, you haven't finished yet. I've not seen your works complete. It hasn't come to completion yet. Don't stop halfway. Don't stop midway. Don't think that just because you have exuberance that that's all there is for you. Don't stop. He says, finish. Finish the race. Finish the race. Listen, this, this, this scripture always trips me out. Those who endure to the end shall be saved. There's a lot of contextual stuff in there that I won't get to now. But he says, I, I, I haven't found your, your, your work to be complete. But then, listen, then he does say one minor affirmation to, listen, no pun intended, to a remnant. Because a remnant means it is a few, it's a chosen few, right? Or those who are left remaining. That's what remnant means. He says, there's a remnant of you in this local church of Sardis that have not soiled their garments. He goes, there's some of you in the midst of this culture, this church culture that you're in, you're actually, watch this, watch this. You're not really satisfied with the hype deep down inside. There's something missing. Yeah, you're looking at all this, and yeah, you're looking at the jumping, and you're thinking, man, this is really popping. But there's something not, there's something not right in me. And he goes, there's some of you not soil their garments. Now, what, what does soiling garments mean? Think about it. Soiling garments has to do with spots on your garments. Listen to me. You know what Jude calls spots on the garments? Spots on your love feast. He says, these things that are happening, that, try, that world try to creep in, is spots. Everybody say spots. When he talks about spoiling, soiling the garments, are you ready for this? Zoom in. I'm almost done. He's talking about a culture of worldliness and carnality that is creeping into the church. You say, how? Look at what James gives us a clue, and then we're going to close, I promise. What James chapter 1 says about garments, about spots on the garments, and what that really means. Go ahead. Pure and undefiled religion before God yep. and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Keep oneself unspotted from what? From what? The world. So Jesus, the Lord, relates spots on our garments as worldliness. He says there's some of you that have no spots on their garments. In other words, you refuse to be, uh, be, be um, a, 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 apathetic or in a, a pass, passive. You refuse to be passive for the sake of persecution, and you will stand up for truth. You will stand up for obedience. You do allow the Holy Spirit to flow in you, and you are alive, and you are alive. He says, I'm going to clothe you with white garments. But here, and, and I could go further for that, but I won't because of time. Here's what I'm trying to tell you before we pray. What I'm trying to tell you is we now need to examine ourselves as a people, as a body, as a church, and say, what areas in our life have become spiritually dead that I have neglected and which areas of my life and my Christian walk needs to be resurrected 
what area in my life needs to be strengthened? Because he says strengthened that remains. And is it okay, ask yourself, is it okay to stay in a spiritual state where I have no moving of the Holy Spirit through me? Listen, because when you do, your life will be changed and other people's lives will be changed. A mark of a lively church is not exuberance. Is the fullness of the Holy Spirit through obedience and that allowing the life of God to flow in you and through you to affect people's lives. I want everyone to stand up. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.